Leading Ideas Talks podcast is brought to you by the Lewis Center for Church Leadership of Wesley Theological Seminary in Washington, D.C. Subscribe free to our weekly e-newsletter, Leading Ideas, at churchleadership.com slash leadingideas. Leading Ideas Talks is also brought to you by Leading the Church in a Post-Pandemic Culture, a new Doctor of Ministry and Church Leadership focus from Wesley Theological Seminary and the Lewis Center for Church Leadership. With this track, clergy will receive the enhanced knowledge, skills, and motivation to increase congregational and denominational service, vitality, and growth in the post-pandemic world. Learn more and apply by February 15th for May 2023 at churchleadership.com slash demon. And remember, to stay up to date with the latest church leadership strategies and information, please like and subscribe to this channel and click the bell icon to get updates for new videos. How can you be creative when facing deadlines? In this episode, we speak with media consultant Phil Cook about gaining clarity on expectations, saying no, and stumbling blocks to creativity. Welcome to Leading Ideas Talks, a podcast featuring thought leaders and innovative practitioners. I am Douglas Poe, the director of the Lewis Center and your host for this talk. Joining me is Dr. Phil Cook, media producer, writer, speaker, coach, and the author of many books. His latest book is Ideas on a Deadline, How to Be Creative When the Clock is Ticking. Our focus for this podcast is creativity. Phil, I'm so happy to have you, and I'm excited because the last time we talked, it was just a fabulous conversation. Well, right, Doug. I'm thrilled to be here. This is uh, so much fun. You're a great interviewer, by the way, so I'm always challenged when I come on. You put me in the hot seat. Well, you're a kind person to say I'm a great <laughs> interviewer, um, but uh, I think that you you probably think quicker in your feet than most people I have met, so uh, I, well, I'm what, I put you in the hot seat. When you spend your life on a film set with a clock ticking and, and money going down the tubes, you learn to think fast, so that does help, I'll, I'll admit. That is good. Let me begin with talking about your new book, and I really enjoyed the book. The thing I liked about it is I think it really speaks to multiple audiences, including a church audience that needs to think about many of the things you are suggesting. Phil, for me, the first question is, what sets your book into thinking apart on the subject of creativity? That's a great question, actually, Doug. I, you know, it's interesting that there's a ton of books on creativity. There's a lot of experts on creativity, a lot of blogs and social media feeds on creativity. But as I was looking over, over them a couple of years ago, I, I, I realized there's a lot of creativity. There's not a lot on being creative under pressure, particularly when you're mm. operating at a really high level. And the truth is, you're exactly right. It's not just for creative professionals, everybody. You may be a real estate agent, you may be an executive, you may be a pastor, a leader of some other kind, but we all have due dates. We all have projects that have to be done by next Tuesday or next Friday. And the truth is we, we live under this myth that we think that, you know, we're okay, I've got this report I have to do on Tuesday. I'd like another week. If I could have another week, it'd be amazing, but you know, I'll come up with something. It won't be as great, but you know, I'll come up with something. That's a total myth. I mean you can have the breakthrough ideas you need when you need them the most. There's just some interesting techniques. And so 
all my life I've lived under deadlines. I've worked in broadcast television. I've worked in advertising and um, I've done, I, I've produced a couple of Super Bowl commercials and I learned early on that they're not going to delay the Super Bowl because I can't come up with a good idea for a TV commercial. So pressure has been a part of my whole career. So I, I did two things. I, I, I used a lot of techniques I've used in the past in the book. I've also talked about a lot of research. There's some very interesting research out out there. And then I also talked to an enormous number of highly high level creative people, both here in Hollywood and in Madison Avenue in New York. And so I think it's a real, the, the key to the book is it's not just being creative. It's how to be creative when the clock is ticking, when, you know, the end of the runway is coming up fast, how to handle those moments when deadlines are looming. That's really the key. I appreciate that. Um, Phil, and I think that you're right, because um, I think the struggle for most people is being creative or trying to be as creative as they can when deadlines are looming, and that's what sort of uh, gets people in a bind. Yeah. What, what I want to sort of build up on what you said is um, you, you talk about it's important to know expectations to help yes. you get there. And I, I found this interesting because I, I think it's true that no matter where we are in life, there are certain expectations that are put up on us by our boss, by a client. You were talking about the Super Bowl. Um, when I teach, I have expectations of my students. Um, all of the places where we engage, we have expectations. So how is it that we can sort of get clarity on the expectations to help us to be more creative? That's a that's brilliant. Uh, it, it's it's really really true. You know, I I consulted with a church one time who had an incredibly creative media team. I mean, they were brilliant. The video shooters, the editors, just just really creative guys. However, they weren't interested in expectations at all. They weren't thinking about the congregation. They weren't thinking about the online audience. They weren't thinking about the people that would actually be viewing their stuff. All they thought about was how can I be more creative. And I kept trying to talk to them about expectations and strategy and what we need to be thinking about. Why are we doing this? And who are we doing it for? They just refused to listen. And as a result, it, they failed. They completely failed. They missed the target 100%. It was an early lesson for me that if we don't listen to expectations, you know, early, early in my career, I delivered some brilliantly creative solutions for problems that didn't exist because I wasn't paying attention to what the client really needed or what they were expecting. And I've learned over the years that until we get real clarity on what the client's looking for, what our boss is looking for, what our congregation's looking for. You know, your comment a minute ago about this being appropriate for church leaders is absolutely true. One of the things I've discovered is Sundays come with relentless regularity. You know, those pastors and church leaders have got to be ready week after week after week. And knowing the expectations of those people sitting in those pews or the people watching over a live stream are absolutely critical if we're going to make an impact in the culture today. So yeah, you're exactly right. I don't start any project uh, until I really am clear on the expectations because I've spent too much time over the years missing the target because I wasn't clear. I didn't have that clarity. And I just tried something I thought was great, which very often it turned out to be great. But if it's not meeting the expectations of your boss or your client or your congregation, you're going to fail. I was going to say, I think that's absolutely true. And the reality is, is that we often don't get clear in the expectations. And if we did, as you said, that would actually sort of 
bring the tension down in some cases for what it is that, that um, we're trying to accomplish. You know, and um, here's something interesting, Doug, let me throw this in. Um, expectations are remarkably easy to do. You don't have to do focus groups. You know, we just did a, we just consulted with a big Christian uh, television station on the East Coast because they wanted to kind of update their program and try to meet the needs of the community more effectively. And so we did a massive number of focus groups. We did phone calls to people. You don't have to go to that kind of trouble. You can just do some emails. You could do some phone calls, even man on the street interviews. I just think it's really important to constantly be talking to people about, hey, are we hitting the target here? Is this what you're thinking about? Um, you know, are, are, are we coming close? Um, I, I had a phone call this morning with a client about a voiceover narrator for a, a commercial series we're doing for a big ministry in the Midwest. And, um, he, you know, he started the conversation with, well, I, I just don't like, I don't like that voice. And I said, well, that, that doesn't help. You know, I'm sure it's okay that you don't like it, but tell me what you're thinking about. What, you know, are you wanting more emotional? Are you wanting male, female? And once we started that conversation and I started getting his expectations in mind, it really made a difference so that our second round really did hit the target. So it's not always something complicated, but we, we ought, ought, to, ought to automatically be thinking, how can I figure out what the client, the boss, the congregation, the, the audience, how, how, what do they need? What are they looking for? That's so important. Let me um, shift a little bit, um, sure. but it's still related. I want to talk about uh, sort of the aha moment. Um, I, I think we all sort of um, dream about these great aha moments that we yeah. can have that help us to sort of culminate our creativity or help in a creative process. But you talk about that this typically just doesn't magically appear. And I, right. I found that interesting because, yeah. you know, I think we think that, uh, you know, I can sit on my... Uh, deck or I can sit on my favorite chair. <laughs> I can just sort of uh, drink my coffee and that aha moment will just sort of grasp me. But um, you come at it differently. And I, and I appreciate that. I think it's helpful. Yeah, that's so true. Experience and research both indicate that aha moments just don't happen out of the blue. They're often, they're most often the culmination of a long process of working through things. Now, here's the key to having more aha moments in your life. And that is that, that it's kind of your subconscious taking over. Very often we think so hard, and this is my favorite part of the book. I, I enjoyed writing this the most. If we sit at our desk, pounding our head against the wall, trying to come up with that great idea, very often we just get nothing. I mean, we just, it's, it's a nightmare. And very often I've discovered you need to get in a mode where you can kind of think about it, process it, do your reading, do your research, visit the location, whatever it takes to do the, you know, solve the problem you're trying to solve, but then get to a state where you kind of let your subconscious take over. And this is a big part of some of the solutions outlined in the book, like taking a walk. Uh, it's interesting that throughout history, the number of people that walked, Soren Kierkegaard, the great theologian, he said, I've walked into the best ideas in my whole life. Um, Beethoven was, was known for walking through the streets with a music sheet in his hand and a pencil in his hand, just walking randomly. And he'd get an idea and jot it down real quickly. And probably the most famous in my mind was Charles Dickens. He would walk literally up to 20 or 30 miles. People thought he had a mental problem because he loved walking so much, but that's what would trigger great ideas. And so, in fact, it's interesting that I, um, I, I was in London. I talk about this in the book. I was in London a few years ago and I picked up a little book called Night Walks written by Charles Dickens. 
and it was uh, during a period of insomnia. He would get up in, in the middle of the night, couldn't sleep, and he would go out for walks. And he would go out walking through downtown London. And um, many literary experts today say that some of his brilliant characters that he has in his novels came out of people he saw and encountered during those walks in the middle of the night. So what happens is when we're walking, we're not concentrating on something. We're not trying to solve the problem. We're just letting our mind kind of wander. And whether it's for you, it may be walking. It may be driving a car. It may be taking a shower. That's a really popular one. Something like 74% of creative people out there have had ideas in the shower. I'm, I'm one of them. Um, whatever it is, when we relax and just let our subconscious kind of take over, things start, our brain starts connecting things that we normally wouldn't have connected in our normal conscious mind. It's not a weird new agey thing. It's just allowing your brain to start making connections that we wouldn't normally make. And that's very often I've discovered when the best ideas happen. Yeah, I, I think that's true. And it seems like, um, and I've heard it before, but hearing you describe those individuals really brings it back to memory is that when we um, sort of get not so focused on what we're doing and you're walking and you sort of allow yourself the freedom um, to you know out and experience life then it allows sort of the creative juices to flow in a different way than when you're just sort of trying to sit there and focus on what do I say? What yeah. Do I write? Willie Nelson, the great country singer said he's written his best songs driving in his truck. So, yeah. um, you know, whatever it is for you, it's funny. I used to go out in the driveway when I would get stuck here at home, I would go out in the driveway and shoot baskets. Well, I started focusing on my shot and that didn't work. Then I set up a heavy bag in the garage and I would go out and punch the bag and that would make me feel better sometimes. But I started thinking about my, 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 you know, boxing technique. But when you're walking, you're not really thinking about walking. You're just letting your mind go. And driving is very often the same way. So any activity uh, that lets your just subconscious go, like, you know, I mentioned the shower a minute ago, I was talking to my team one time and so frustrated that I come up when that water hits me, I'm telling you the ideas flow. But by the time I get out, dry off, find a pen and paper and write it down, I usually forget the idea. And I was complaining about it one day in the office and what, what a member of our team Googled it and found a company called Aquanotes that makes waterproof legal pads. So now my productivity is shooting through the roof. I can just write whatever comes to my mind while I'm standing in the shower. So it's fantastic. Let, let your mind wander is really the key. I was going to talk about your idea of writing it down later, but let's go ahead and talk yeah. about that now. Um, you you uh, talk about a period in your life when you didn't write things down. Oh, yeah. um, and you also sort of share, and this is in chapter 14, a great story uh, yeah. about um, the importance of writing things down. Um, you don't mind sort of sharing that story oh, yeah. and why it's so critical that, you know, even when you think um, you have had that aha moment, go ahead and write it down so you don't yes. lose it. Yeah, ideas I've discovered are the most fragile thing in the world. And if we don't write them down, we'll forget them. Our, our brain is just not geared for having and holding ideas. It's interesting. Um, I was at a Christmas party here in, in Los Angeles, where I live, a number of years ago. And I met a, a businessman from uh, South Africa. And he was very wealthy. And, and I have the spiritual gift of asking what everybody else in the room is thinking. So I finally blurted out, well, how did you make your money? And he said, well, Phil, it's interesting you ask. And he said, years before, back in the days of flip phones, remember the flip mobile phones? 
He said, my wife asked me to go shopping. He said, I hate shopping. He said, I had a normal job. I was a regular guy. I hated to go to the mall, but I love my wife. So I went with her and I went shopping. And he said, after a couple hours of shopping, I got tired. So I sat down on a bench in the mall while she went to one last women's store to go check out a dress. And he said, I'm sitting there and I started watching teenagers use their cell phone. And he said, this idea hit me out of the blue. He said, if he said, this thought kind of hit me that if, what, what if these teenagers could download their favorite songs and use those as ringtones on their phone? Nobody had done that in that part of the world yet. And um, so he said, I, I got a pen out of my pocket. I couldn't, I didn't have a paper. So I found a brochure just sitting on the bench, wrote it down, put it in my pocket at the very moment my wife called me into the store to look at a dress. He said, so I went in and completely forgot about the idea. He said, six months went by and I went to the closet, put on that same jacket, put my hand in my pocket and I found that note. And he said, you know what? I, I reread it. I remembered that night at the mall. He thought I, I need to make this happen. So he started out by making a deal with five for five songs, uh, made a deal with a local cell phone company. And he told me that two years later, he sold that, that company for $70 million. And I thought, and, and, he, and he looked at me and he said, but here's the thing, Phil, had I not written that idea down, I would have completely forgotten about it. And I'll tell you, Doug, that got my attention. And you will never catch me without notepads in my pocket. Uh, I've got two or three apps on my phone that allow me to jot down notes. I just never want to be at the place where, and, and you don't know where God could drop that idea on you that could completely change your life. It, it could be in a, a classroom, in a, in a church service, walking through the park, driving in a car, anywhere that idea could happen. And when that aha moment does happen, I want to be ready. So I just think writing things down, getting in that habit, getting, you know, finding the tools, whether you keep a notebook or I use little index cards. And um, I just think it's a great, great technique to get into because it can really save you. And, and I store, you know, I find early, many of the ideas that I had early in my career, I've got notebook after notebook after notebook. And Early in my career, I might not have had the budget or the crew or the team or the expertise to do some of those, those ideas. Now I go back through those notebooks and I think, okay, this could work now. This could work now. And I'll pull those and try those with different projects we're doing today. So I tell you, writing it down is a habit that can really transform your life. Yeah. I, um, again, it's something I've heard previously, but you really brought it home with that story and I appreciate you sharing it. So so I'm going to try to be more mindful of making sure that I have uh, a yes. pen and uh, pad or, as you say, something on my phone where I can make sure I keep good notes. You never know. You never know. You, you do not know. <laughs> the, one, uh, the one that, uh, I shouldn't say the one because they all hit home, but um, one that I think can be challenging for people who are extremely busy and trying to do a lot of things and this is interesting is they have a hard time saying no yes uh you, you know you you're uh, you're always thinking i can fit that in and get that done along with everything else that is going on but you point out that we have to say no actually if we want to actually be more creative and i i found that really intriguing but i think it's it's really good advice um can you share a little bit more how Absolutely. saying no actually helps us to be more creative well the truth is doug that if you if anyone listening or watching feels like god's called you to do something significant with your life you're gonna have to say no to a lot of other things and some of those things may be really good things um I, I in the book i talk about my one of my favorite quotes is from investor warren buffett who said 
the difference between successful people and really successful people is that really successful people say no most of the time. And so it, 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 what's funny is most of us, if you're in the ministry or you're creative like me, it's hard to say no. We, we're nice people. You know, we want to help people. We want to serve. And, and, and that's what we do. It's part of our nature. However, we need to figure out a way to protect our time and not take every single request that comes in. And so in the book, I, I list about five or six alternatives, ways to say no to people. That's nice. You never, you never want to be a jerk about it. You know, I, I find very often in my career, I've worked with people that they could be such a jerk about saying no and very arrogant and condescending, but you don't have to be that way at all. I mean, just sharing with people that you're, you're booked or you have other things scheduled or you're working on a project right now, you can do it in a gracious way, but we have to learn to do it because ultimately, if our no means nothing, then our yes will mean nothing. We have to have boundaries in our professional lives. I, I, I came across one study that indicated when we're focused, when we're really in that creative zone working on a project and someone comes in your office and interrupts you, by the time that when, when they leave, it will take you 20 to 40 minutes to get back into that same level of focus, which means how many of those interruptions can you take in a day before your entire day is blown? So one of the things we've learned in this digital age we live in is that deep work, deep time, focused deep time is critically important. You know, that this is, there's not a single study that indicates um, uh, multitasking does anything positive. I mean, it helps you do a lot of things badly is basically the bottom line. In fact, one study indicates that when we multitask, we lower our, our IQ by about 10 points. So we, if we're going to be successful and productive and creative, we need to really learn to focus and have that deep time. But to do that, we need to shut the door. We need to have those private moments when we can really focus. So learning to say no, I think is the foundational skill of delivering great ideas on a deadline, because I'll tell you, as that deadline approaches, you need to zero in and really get serious about what you're doing. Again, I'm talking with Phil Cook and talking about his latest book, Ideas on a Deadline, How to Be Creative. And Phil just completely um, hit me hard by talking about multitasking doesn't help you. Uh, <laughs> I appreciate you saying that, <sighs> Phil, and you know. It's true. Just, just hitting hard, uh, you know, on me. But I, but I think, um, I think you're right, and I, I again appreciate that if we don't create spaces where we block out all the noise and everything else, then it's not going to be possible for us to actually do our best work. It's really true. Those kind of spaces are absolutely critical. And um, we need to be in those spaces regularly. We need to be there. We need to show up on a regular basis in those really private times. And if we're going to really get, you know, create the ideas worth having. So it's, it's, I can't overemphasize that enough. The other uh, thing, I, and again, I shouldn't use this because they all struck me, but, but as I get more gray hair, let me put it that way. As I get more gray hair, I was encouraged to read that you say that, you know, it's not that older people are yes. less creative because there's sort of this notion by some that as you get older, you become less creative. But you do say that there has to be a willingness to continue to try new things. So, yeah. so my question to you is, do you think it's harder for older people or as we get older to continue to try new things? That, 
what we lose is not necessarily, as you indicate, the ability to be creative, but what we're losing is our willingness to continue to try different things. Yes. You know, it's funny. Before we did this interview this morning on this podcast, uh, I, I put my 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 daughter and her husband and our two grandkids on a plane. They live in Nashville. And so uh, they came to visit for a week. And um, I, I can tell you this. I, 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 you spend time with your grandkids. You learn why we have children in our 20s, not in, as we get older. And, um, you know, I, I'm they wear me out. And so there are physical restraints. There are physical things that just cause us to want to slow down a little bit. As we get older, we just naturally want to, you know, we're not willing so often to take the risk that we were in our twenties or thirties. But the truth is we need to stay engaged if we're going to stay creative. And, And like you say, the research I talk about in the book indicates that there's not a shred of research that says we get less creative as we get older. In fact, I showcase in the book a number of people that are brilliantly creative in their 70s and 80s and even 90s. Um, and by the way, while I'm on this subject, there's also no research that indicates some people are born creative and some aren't. You know, whenever I speak on this topic, I always get somebody that comes up afterwards and says, you know, Phil, that's great, but I, I was, you know, I'm just not creative. I'm, I'm not, I wasn't born creative. That's, that's a myth. Total myth. Um, there's no indication, no research whatsoever that some are born creative and some aren't, but it's like a muscle. We have to use it. And like you say, we have to be engaged. We have to be reading, looking at the culture, looking at, you know, that, that world that you live in. I have a friend who's in the logistics. She works in the logistics world. She's been an executive for a big uh, delivery company all her career. And, and she's quite brilliant. And she's now on the board of a couple of major fortune 500 companies. And um, she's, even though she's retired, she's still plugged in. She's still talking about logistics all the time. She's reading about it. She's studying it. She's talking to people about it. So as long as she does that, she's going to be creative as long as she wants. So I just think that as we get older, you know, we naturally, you know, might want to physically slow down a little bit and think that we're getting less creative, but it's not the case. So I will say this, when it comes to churches in particular, very often I'll consult with churches and I'll, I'll be working with their creative team. And I'll very often see um, that a pastor or an executive pastor or other leader will kind of defer to the younger voices in the room. And I'm glad that we have younger people in the room. I'm thrilled that younger people want to get plugged into leadership roles at church. However, I would say, don't don't stop listening to those older creative voices on your team. And if you're one of those older members of the team, don't automatically step back for a younger person because your ideas are still valid. You, the, the experience that you bring to the table is so important. So I really, you know, I, I kind of get passionate about that because I just see so often how older professionals, older creatives, older ministry leaders start to feel marginalized. They start to feel they're not being listened to, but nothing could be more damaging to a church or a ministry. We need those voices and we need to hear. Now, one thing uh, that I have learned is in writing the book is that that we don't get less creative as we get older, but we do change our perspective on creativity, which is even a better reason to keep the older voices on the team because they look at creativity from a different angle and a different perspective. And it's always great to have that kind of diversity on a team when you're being creative. So yeah, you're exactly right. I just don't think that there's any research that indicates we get less creative as we get older, as long as we're still exercising that muscle, staying engaged, learning, growing. I have a quote on my desk, a little metal brass quote on my desk from Michelangelo at the peak of his powers. He said, I'm still learning. And I just want to be that way until, till the end. So I think that's critically important. 
we've talked a lot sort of about uh, some of the things uh, related to creativity, but I think uh, one of the most helpful things in the book and a reason um, individuals certainly should pick this up is you talk about uh, what do you do when you hit stumbling blocks? I mean, if you're in any profession, you're going to hit stumbling blocks. And this is particularly true of pastors. It might be with a sermon or other church leaders with uh, ministry ideas of, you know, how do we try to do something different um, to make this ministry be more fruitful? Um, can you share? I know you don't want to share them all because we want no. people to get the book, but can you share a couple <laughs> of things that can help us um, to think about some of the, uh, when we hit those stumbling blocks, what do we do to sort of get the creative juices flowing again? Absolutely. And, and I, um, it's interesting that the first thing I do is get out of there. You know, like I said earlier, if I'm stuck on an idea and I'm sitting at my desk and banging my head against the wall and nothing is working, I get out of there. Very often I, I will, I'll take a walk, I'll take a drive, but there are a lot of other things. One of the things I've discovered personally is I hold back as long as I possibly can. For instance, if I'm writing a book, if I'm working on a book, I just literally started working on a new book yesterday. And what I often do is I don't start writing right away. I start, I research, I read, I study, and I actually hold off writing as long as I can. I'm also working on an advertising campaign for a ministry in the Midwest. And I've got to write some, some television commercials, but I'm holding off as long as I can. And what happens is, while I'm holding off, those ideas are bouncing around in my head. I'm thinking about them. I'm cogitating on them. Um, I'm doing the research. And when I finally sit down to write, it's like the dam breaking open. It's like, I can't help it. I can't hold it back anymore. And I sit down and those ideas flow. Very often, they'll flow so fast, I have trouble keeping up at my laptop. So first of all, don't start too soon. I think that many people hit that creative wall because they simply started too soon. What we call writer's block happens, I think, because you're just not fully ready to sit down and write. So hold it as long as you can. Certainly it'll make you nervous because you'll see the deadline coming up. Uh, you know, pilots tell me when they see the end of that runway approaching on a takeoff, their blood starts pumping and their adrenaline starts flowing. Things start happening. It's the same way with creativity. But as long as you can hold off, that's a great thing. Another idea is go to the source. I tell pastors, especially, you know, if, if the problem, you know, stop meeting in conference rooms. I'm so sick of meeting in conference room, uh, conference rooms. If if the problem is in the parking lot, have the meeting in the parking lot. If the problem is in the educational building, have the have the meeting in the ed educational building. I'll tell you, it'll change your perspective and change the quality of your ideas if you start having the meeting where the problem lies. I, I in the book I talk about. When we moved to California, we stopped in Las Vegas for a few months. My, my wife's family lived in Vegas. We were living in Oklahoma and we were moving to, to LA and we stopped in Vegas for a couple months so we could look, stayed with my in-laws so we could look for a house here in Los Angeles. And while I was there, a friend introduced me to the marketing director at a couple big hotels in Las Vegas. She ran Circus Circus Hotel. She ran the Excalibur. She ran Sahara. She did all the marketing for them. And she hired me to be a copywriter for them. So I was writing advertising and I was naming menu items and I was coming up with TV commercials and all kinds of stuff. And it was a job to help me bridge over to when I came to LA. But one of the interesting things was this was the time when, when Vegas was trying to be family friendly. And um, Circus Circus Hotel opened what was the largest dome covered amusement park in the world. And it was designed for little bitty kids. 
And so they came to me and said, hey, we've got to name the rides, come up with names for all the rides in the amusement park. And so I tried for a week. I was just beating my brains against the wall and nothing was coming and nothing was working. So I decided, hold on a second. These rides are for my kids, my daughter's age. So I called Kelsey's teacher, second grade teacher. And I said, look, can I come in for an hour and, and talk to the kids about this? And she said, sure, come on in. So I sat down with the kids, second graders. And I said, okay, we've got a roller coaster that goes through the desert. Some kid yelled out Canyon Blaster. Okay, check. I, I did another one. Okay, this, this flips you upside down and all around. Another kid yelled out Roadrunner. Check. So I went down the list and these kids, second graders named all the rides. And, the, and I took them the next day, literally didn't change hardly anything, took them the next day and presented them to the, to, to the Circus Circus leadership team. They didn't change a single name. And we went back 30 years later, a couple of years ago, we went back 30 years later and took our grandkids to the amusement park and the rides are still there and they're still called by those names. And so I learned, go to the source. Go to the people that can help you the most. I mentioned focus groups and phone calls and man on the street interviews earlier. That's a great tool. Don't feel like you have to come up with everything on your own. Very often you can break through that block by going out and talking to people who will be affected by it or who have more insight than you do. And you'll be amazed how often that will trigger great ideas. Bill, once again, it's been fantastic having this conversation with you as we get ready to end. I, I want to, end on what I think is something that is just really critical for, for all of us, and it's how to make our dream somebody else's dream. Um, you yeah. name it differently, of course, you say how to make your dream their dream. Yeah. But what are some things to keep in mind when you're pitching ideas to others? I mean, you just named a couple as you were talking about go to the source. But yeah. as you think about um, when you're trying to get people to connect with what it is you're doing and to really make our dream their dream, what are some of the things we need to keep in mind? Uh, you know, it's funny, working in Hollywood, working in advertising the way I do, I'm pitching ideas constantly. I'm always pitching them to a studio or a producer or a client, a pastor maybe. Um, and, and the truth is, all of us pitch ideas constantly. I mean, if my wife wants me to take her out to dinner tonight, she's gonna pitch me on the idea. Uh, you know, if I want to get romantic with my wife, I got a picture on the idea. You know, we're constantly, you want to raise at your work, you got to pitch your boss on the idea. So I think all of us need to think seriously about our, our skill and our ability to pitch ideas to other people. It's so very, very important if we want to get them accepted. And some of the ways to do it, I think are very critical is number one, be brief, get to the point right away. So often people will pitch me an idea and they talk and they talk and they talk. Literally a guy called me last week and he had an idea he wanted to pitch me. And I, I, you know, I blocked 45 minutes to an hour for, to talk to him on the phone. And he started off, he said, you know, this kind of started 30 years ago. And he started going through his whole life. He never paused. He just kept going. And literally he just, I could not get his attention and stop him from talking. It was a, for, fortunately it was a phone call and not a zoom call. So while he was talking, I just put him on the speakerphone and set up the lighting and the camera for a podcast I had to do that afternoon. Then I answered about 20 emails. Then I, I uh, started a blog post about why you shouldn't drone on and on and on when you're pitching an idea and got it almost completely written. And 55 minutes, he finally paused and said, what do you think? And uh, I said, I don't know. We, we booked an hour for this. I don't really have time to respond. I've got to go to another meeting. And um, I, I, we, we moved on. And so I, I think, number one, be brief. Get to the point. You know, the people you're pitching to are usually busy. 
So be brief, get to the point. And, you know, come with two or three ideas. You don't have to pitch them all, but very often if they don't like your first idea, they're going to say, okay, what else you got? And if you don't have anything, you're done. So, you know, don't, don't, you know, don't just come with one idea. Try to have two or three. Another good idea is the slickest presentation rarely wins. It's really mm. not about, you know, how slick your presentation is. It's how good the idea is. Really hone that idea. Make it work. Another idea is don't, don't bug people. Very often someone will come into my office, pitch me an idea for a television program or some other idea. And on their way home in the car, they'll call me to say, what'd you think? You're going to do it? you know, give me a little time to think about this. Give me time to talk to my team about it. So don't bug people over the idea. I think that's important. And the last thing I would say, and I, I, I throw this in because I think it is important. Very often you'll make a, you know, you'll schedule an appointment to go uh, pitch your idea to somebody. It could be the pastor. It could be your boss. It could be a client. Who knows? An investor, potential investor, a donor. And you'll walk in. You made the appointment with Mr. or Mrs. Big, and you walk in, and Mr. Big has somebody else in the room, and you don't know who they are, and you didn't make an appointment with that guy, and you don't know why he or she is there. It could be the boss's business partner or wife or girlfriend. You, you have no idea. Golfing buddy, you don't have any idea. Very often we think, okay, I'm just going to ignore that guy and pitch to the guy I came to see. And by ignoring that guy, you're making a huge mistake because as soon as you walk out of the room, Mr. Big will turn to his friend and say, hey, so what did you think? And if you ignored him, he's going to say, well, frankly, I just didn't like that guy very much. And I didn't like his idea. So whoever's in the room, embrace them. You may not know who they are. They may not be introduced to you, but whoever you go in to pitch with or whoever you've gone to pitch for, if there's somebody else there, embrace that person, make them part of the conversation. They're more likely when you walk out of the room to turn to their friend and say, wow, that guy's really sharp. I like that idea. So those little ideas, you know, we should constantly be honing our ability to present ideas because if you're a leader, Sooner or later, you're going to be presenting to your team. You're going to be presenting to a donor or a series of donors or your congregation. It doesn't matter. There's going to be people out there to pitch to. And the art of making your dream become their dream is going to be really critical for you to go to the next level in your life and your career. Phil, thank you so much. This has been fantastic. And again, I want to say his latest book is Ideas on a Deadline, How to Be Creative. Um, it has been wonderful to get a chance to talk with you again, and you did not disappoint you quickly <laughs> on your feet. I rambled a little bit because I get so excited about this topic. I got pumped. So sorry about that, but it was really, really fun. Yeah. Thanks for joining us for Leading Ideas Talks. Subscribe free to our weekly e-newsletter, Leading Ideas, at churchleadership.com slash leading ideas.